will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever, for in Yahweh the Lord is everlasting strength. Father, again, we thank you that as we have trusted in you, as we have trusted in your Son for forgiveness, that we have peace with you. Lord, thank you that we are no longer warring against you. Thank you that your condemnation is no longer over us. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here who is still in this state of rebellion and has never received Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, that today might be their day of salvation. May they bend the knee. May they receive you. Lord, again, we thank you that as we have peace with you, we can also have the peace of God. And as we walk on this earth as believers, and as we're filled by your Spirit, that you give us peace, peace in the midst of turmoil and chaos. And Lord, as we look at Daniel today, remind us that what we see in his life could not have been accomplished outside of the fact that your Spirit was working through him. It wasn't that he was a great man in and of himself, but that he served a great God. Lord, remind us of these things because we serve you. And yet so often we try to handle problems on our own. We try to shoulder them on our own rather than casting our care upon you. Lord, may we be those that walk with you in dependence, in a great dependence on your spirit working through us and knowing that as you walk along with us and empower us, that we can be empowered to have that peace and joy that the world looks at us and says, how can they be that way? Help us to be a true testimony for you as we walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You'd like to turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Daniel's life again. This morning as we start... I see that I'm almost out of time. <laughs> Might have to cut this down. That's hard. But I want to ask you a question. If God gives you a trial and you handle it well, does that mean your future is guaranteed to be trial-free? In other words, let's say the Lord brings something into your life, something very difficult. Let's call it a crisis. Okay? Not just a trial, but a crisis. And you stand right. You, you, have, you take a, a, the correct biblical stand. You respond properly. You do things according to what Scripture says. And God blesses you for that, for taking the stand. Does that now mean that you can expect, as part of God's blessing, that the next period of time in front of that trial and crisis you're going to have a trouble-free life. By the way, sometimes we kind of think that way. Lord, I can't handle any more. And I've already gone through a trial, maybe gone through two. I handled it right. I walked with you. You blessed me. Therefore, i.e., no more trials for a while. I mean, is that really how it works? Is that how it should work? Now, I say that because, as we saw in Daniel chapter 1, Daniel was taken away into Babylon captivity, him and his three friends. He is displaced hundreds of miles away 
By the way, as we get into Daniel 2, I'm going to start putting up uh, uh, maps, but for now I just felt like there's not a need. Um, but again, he's displaced. He's not around his family. He doesn't have his religious heritage to fall back on with other people of, of like mind other than his three friends. It says in chapter chapter 1, verse 2, that Nebuchadnezzar also took away many of the treasures of the house uh, of, of the true God to the house of his God. And again, Daniel, it says in verse 8, when, again, he's ripped out of his land, he's given a new name, things are happening, total crisis, total transition, and it isn't until he was given the king's food that he said no. And in verse 8 it says, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies. At that point, it would have been a violation for him to have eaten the food because that food had been offered to idols. Not only that, but the food itself was not acceptable according to Levitical law, i.e. like eating pork for a Jew, right? So he said no. By the way, he did it in a very courteous, very cautious way. It wasn't like, you know, in your face. Um, But he took a stand. God blessed them, verse 17. And for these four men, God gave them knowledge and skill and all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding of all visions and dreams. By the way, the second part of verse 17 is real important. Daniel himself had understanding of all visions and dreams. Now, you say, when did this happen? It says in verse... Uh, chapter 1, verse 1, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to uh, Jerusalem and besieged it. It was actually not even in his first year, as far as Nebuchadnezzar's first year, that he conquered Jerusalem, took, because history tells us that after conquering Jerusalem, he came back to Babylon. His father died. He became king, Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar then, a year later, is when in pagan um, history, in, in Babylonian history, they didn't start the, the, the time clock for the king until the first full year. So if he went back, father dies, he becomes king. But then it's not until the top of the first year that it, it actually is recorded as his first full year. Now that's important because in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. And you say, well, okay, so this is just two years later. Most likely, and I say, what I think it happened, and I say think because, it, it, again, if I've understood everything correctly, he comes back, be king's king. It, it, the clock hasn't even started until the top of the next year. After two full years is when this has happened. Okay? Now, the point, though, is, is this. Let's get back to the original. How do we experience victory in a crisis? Because, again, Daniel was in a crisis. He had to say no. His friends had to say no, but yet God blessed him. Nebuchadnezzar looked at him. In fact, it even says that he had more wisdom than ten times the, the best of the men. Okay. But should we expect, therefore, Daniel to have in chapter 2 say, and he, and he lived happily ever after? He got through his test, and now he's just, you know, living happily ever after. And again, no, we we find that there's another crisis in Daniel's life within the year. He goes from one crisis to the next. Which reminds me of this, as one man said it. Taking a right, right stand one day does not mean that you won't face significant trials the next. 
Just because we take a right stand, a correct stand today, doesn't mean that God's not going to allow some other great stress, great trial, great crises in your life the next. And that's what we see in Daniel's life. In fact, I would say this, we might even want to learn to expect it, not in a pessimistic, fatalistic way, but just say, okay, the Lord is allowing me to go through trials. By the way, trials uh, have a purpose. You can go through Scripture, and there's a number of purposes. James talks about it matures us and makes us more enduring. Second uh, Corinthians talks about that as we have gone through trials ourselves, we can comfort, we've been comforted by God, we can comfort others. Sometimes it just humbles up. Uh, Paul, uh, thorn in the flesh, it made him humble as he went through his trial. Uh, again, the goal of life, what is the goal of life? Is it to have a happy, uh, just a happy, easy life? Sometimes I think Christians think that way. And then we get kind of disillusioned when it doesn't happen that way. I mean, I'm one of God's kids because I have received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I have been forgiven for Him. I am in God's family. All the riches of heaven, all the, all the things are given to me through Christ, in Christ. I mean, certainly I should have an easy life. And yet we are on enemy's territory. And we still have the flesh. We won't, we won't get out of that until, until we are glorified, see Christ. So while we're on here, in, on this earth, we're on the battlefield. And we have to realize that the goal of life is not an easy life. Actually, the goal of life is to honor the Lord, to glorify Him in whatever situations He allows us to get into, right? To glor- to, our life is to honor Him. It's not my, for my pleasure. And not only that, but trials, as I said before, help us in that process of holiness. So not only are we able to glorify God, but we are becoming more and more sanctified, more and more holy as we go through different trials. The process itself helps us to become more like Christ. Just going through trials, going through trials. So we see in in Daniel's life, we go from chapter 1, where he passes the test with flying colors. Now, within the year, he's, he's in another major test. And it's the one that deals with the dream. And we're going to, by the way, we're going to break down chapter 2 uh, intricately over the next few weeks. Well, not in the next few weeks. Uh, this week I'm preaching, because I'm here. Next week I'm on vacation, and Tom Foucault will be here, as you saw in the bulletin. Uh, he was the young man, I say young man, he's my age, uh, that had the heart issue. Bill Baker's very, very good friend. He's going to be preaching here next week. Actually, ABF and Sunday morning, and he's going to be talking about suffering. It's a very, he's got a lot of insights. I hope you're here next week. And then the week after that, I'll be back, but uh, actually we've got uh, Jason McGuire, who is with, um, help me out, New York for Family Constitutional Change, or whatever that is, uh, Dwayne Motley's organization. And he's going to be speaking here, both ABF and Sunday morning as well. So in three weeks from now, we'll continue with Daniel 2. Anyways, we have the undeclared dream. Let's just kind of break this down, chapter 1. And we'll go very quickly through the first few verses and then slow down as we get to about 20. The undeclared dream. First of all, we have the dream. Notice it says, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, plural. That's very important because there's only going to be one dream that Daniel's actually going to be interpreting for him. But he had dreams, and his spirit was so troubled that his uh, sleep left him. Now again, this was in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar. By the way, the dreams happened earlier. 
But it, what I think is what's happening is the dreams were coming. You know, it was almost like night after night he had these dreams. And they apparently lasted for a while. It wasn't like he had one dream and then he was ready to kill everybody. He, he, he had dreams and they were tormenting him. Verse 2, Then the kings gave the command to, the, to call the magicians and the astrologers and the sorcerers and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. Plural. When it's all said and done, he's only, Daniel's only going to uh, deal with one. Actually, it might be this. One dream that, that fits all the other stuff together. It might be that. Again, we don't know. So they came and stood before the king, and the king said to them, I had a dream, a singular, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. So, again, these pieces and did he keep having the same one or was it the same one with added uh, overnight after night we don't know but the point is is I I had a dream and this one particular dream I want the interpretation he calls everybody that's wise around him and says I want to know by the way this dream was from God this dream is going to show Nebuchadnezzar it's going to show Daniel it's going to give us input into the rest of human history that's what this dream is about. It's called the times of the Gentiles. Because remember, Jerusalem is now destroyed. And the question on any Jew's mind would be this, is God done with Israel? By the way, that question is still on Christians' mind today, and sometimes people answer that wrong. I will say this emphatically, God is not through with Israel. And what the dream is about is showing the kingdoms of the world and how it's all going to come down to the final kingdom, which is Christ's kingdom, the millennium kingdom, which is uh, the, the end of the dream talks about a rock smashing. That's Christ in his kingdom. So what, this, what the dream is going to be talking about is the end of human history, which we are living r- through right now, and that God is not done with the Jew. By the way, it, it says dreams, and just as a sidelight, you might say, well, you know, do we still have dreams? Was well, it natural and normal for God to speak to people through dreams? Should I expect dreams now? Well, in the Old Testament, you find a number of spots where God used dreams to, to convey information. Again, you see in Genesis, Jacob had a dream that promised him the land of Palestine. Joseph had dreams. Abimelech, Solomon, in 1 Kings 3, he revealed uh, what was going to happen to the land of Egypt in a dream that Pharaoh had, and then Joseph interpreted. Very, very natural because, again, the scriptures had not yet even been written. Should it be normal today? I would say no. <laughs> Hebrews 1.2 says this, He hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. We know in Revelation that it says that you should not add to or take away from this letter, talking about Revelation in the entire book, and I believe at that, at that point, uh, revelation was completed. In other words, everything that God wants me to know is right here. So if you come to me and say, I had a dream, please interpret it because you're a spiritual man, I'll say no. Because <laughs> that's not how God speaks. Now, if you want to you know, ask me a question, I'll go to God's Word and I'll say this is what God says. So again... It was normal to have dreams back then because, again, the Old and New Testament had not yet even been written. Well, look at the dilemma, verse 4. You go from the dream to the dilemma. Then the Chaldean, by the way, Chaldeans were the southern part of Babylon. They were the, the elite of the wise men. I mean, the astrologers and, and, and uh, sorcerers, I mean, they were all part of the group, but the Chaldeans were the elite. And the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. 
That's a very important point right there. From this point on to the end, I think, of chapter 7, actually the book moves from Hebrew to Aramaic and then back to Hebrew and you'll eat. And you say, why? Because from chapter 2, this point, to the end of chapter 7, he is going to be dealing with the Gentiles. It's an interesting way that it happened. That the book of Daniel is broken up like this. Chapter 1, 1 to chapter 2, verse 3 is in Hebrew. Then you have a whole area of, of Aramaic. It's original language, Aramaic. And then it goes back to Hebrew in chapter 8. Uh, we'll look at that in a couple of weeks. But it says, he spoke to him, in, uh, king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. By the way, that's the, great, that's the way that you always want to respond to the guy that holds your life in his hands. Okay? Hey, listen, I'm on your side. Tell your servant the dream and we'll give the interpretation. That's a fair shake. You know I mean? Tell me what you've been dreaming and, you know, we'll try to figure this out. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, my, de- my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces. That was a very normal way of dealing with people that displeased the king. It wasn't just beheading, although that was part of it, but just like not only beheading, but cutting you up into pieces. I mean, do you see the crises that these people are in? It's not like you get unelected, you know, and somebody else, you know, you get killed. By the way, not just you, usually they take your family Anybody that associated with you and killed everybody, okay? But here, he says, I'm going to cut you in pieces and your houses shall be made into ash heap. However, if you tell me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. You got to tell me the dream and then you got to interpret it. I'm not going to tell you the dream. It's a do or die. Maybe that's where that came from. And you don't do it, total disaster. You do it, total reward. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we'll give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time. I know what you're doing. You're trying to just gain time here. This is going to come up in a moment, this whole idea of time. Because you see my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you, for you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall make that, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. Now, that is a major dilemma. <laughs> they were brought on board and paid, and given all the riches and everything else, so that at these moments of crises, the king could depend on them. And they're saying, "Hey, uh, well, look at the deficiency." The Chaldeans answered, verse ten answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who could tell the kings this matter. You're asking the impossible. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such a thing of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. By the way, Pharaoh gave uh, Joseph his dream, but here, no, no, you've got to tell me both. And he says, No one can tell it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. So they were making a true statement. This was an impossible situation. How do you expect us to, you know, not only give you the dream, who knows what you've been dreaming. <laughs> give me the dream, I'll give you the interpretation. Actually, there is something you could do. If you ever say you have a dream and someone says they can interpret it, why don't you do it that way? All right, I'm not going to tell you the dream. Tell me the dream and then the interpretation. Now I'll know it's from God. Because that's an impossibility. 
And so the decree went out, verse 12, for this reason the king was angry and very furious. He was so angry. I mean, have you ever seen someone that angry? I'm sure he's probably drooling, you know. And gave a command to destroy all, now catch this, all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out and they began, and they began killing the wise men. And they saw Daniel and his companions to kill them. Would you say this is a crisis? Yeah, I would say this is a major, major crisis. Some things have been established. It's a crisis. No one can do it. It's an impossibility. Only God. And yet God is not on this earth. How is God, how can this be answered? And now enters Daniel. And I've taken about 20 minutes to get you there at this point, but I want you to see how severe the crisis is. You know, sometimes you can read over that and just, well, you know, okay, they had a problem. No, no, this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, the ruler would destroy and mutilate and behead and cut in pieces anybody that didn't do his will. So this is a major ordeal here. Now again, the dream happened, I believe, according to chapter 1, in between the times of Daniel's learning, you know, because it says that he went to school for three years in Babylonian University, as it were. And most likely the dream was happening there. But I believe by the time it gets to Daniel, at this point in verse 14, he is already, i.e., graduated from Babylonian University. He's already had his interview with King Nebuchadnezzar because this may have taken a few months. And so everything in chapter 1 is before everything you find in verse 14. He's been, uh, he has been promoted. We know that because he's part of the wise men at this point. And we see this, an unwavering Daniel. So we go from an undeclared dream to an unwavering Daniel. And we get a second glimpse of Daniel's life in chapter 2. By the way, as you break up the book of Daniel, you could do it this way. Daniel chapter 1 through 6 is really a lot about his personal life. Even though you see a lot of prophecy in there, I mean chapter 2 is huge with prophecy. A lot of it is about Daniel's personal life. His prophetic ministry doesn't really start kicking in until chapter 7. And then he lays out all kinds of things about the Revelation, the Antichrist. So it's almost like there's, uh, he himself is setting it up so you get a glimpse into his life. By the way, that's one of the reasons, you know, we like narrative. Stories. Life stories. Don't you love life stories? Don't you love to kind of be like, the, like a plane going over the person's life and now you can kind of track with him and see he made good decisions or he made poor choices and how did it turn out when he made good cho- decisions and how did it turn out when he made poor choices? I'm not saying Daniel, but the people of Scripture. That's why we like narrative. Like biographical sketches. And with Daniel, you get a really good picture. See, by the time that you get to Daniel chapter 6, lying in the, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, this is when Daniel is almost 90 years old. Because again, it's, it's, it pleased Darius. There's a whole other king. Babylon's gone. You know, all those guys are gone. See, in chapters 1 and 2, Daniel is about 17 or 18 years old. By the time you get to Daniel 6, he's about 90 years old. So what does, what does he do? He literally gives you the, the snapshot of his entire life and says, listen, I started out pleasing God, honoring him, obeying him, but that's also how I ended. You see a lot of people start out fast and strong for Christ. 
And then they make poor choices and decisions and they marry the wrong person because they marry an unbeliever. And now all of a sudden they're, they're unequally yoked and they had to make a choice of following God or following them, that person, and they decided instead of getting frustration in the family, I'm just going to try to, you know, placate and, you know, and, and then you see, and they had choices and decisions along the way. And it may not be that, as the, but there's choices and decisions. And man, they started out so strong and they ended so poorly. But with Daniel, you'll see him start strong and strong. See, it's one thing to show character when there isn't a crisis. Actually, chapter 1 isn't a major crisis. He's just saying, listen, I, I can't eat the food. Now, he didn't know what the response could have been. It could have been really bad. <laughs> But here, this is, this is like they're out to kill him. <laughs> Let's see what happens. Uh, Steve Byers, as he was uh, commenting on this particular passage, said this of verse 14. He said, concentrate on your response to the trial, not on the trial itself. As we go into crises, as we go into trials, concentrate on your response to that particular trial, not the trial itself. If you, why? Because if you focus on the trial, now, now you're looking at it like this. Okay? You're saying, okay, uh, it's so big, how am I going to handle it? But if you're focusing on your response, now it's you and God on how you're going to deal with the trial. So you're, focus, you're looking like this. It's really just the opposite. You focus on your response. If you focus on the trial, it may look so big, I can't deal with that. But if you focus on your response to the trial, Lord, you're working through me. See, now you're looking down at the trial and you're saying, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do in this part? What, what is my part of dealing with this trial, this crisis? How do you want me to treat my mother-in-law? <laughs> How do you want me to treat my employer? What, what about this financial situation, this health issue I'm in dealing with? Whatever your trial is, focus on your response, not just the trial itself. Well, let's see how he does it. Look at verse 14. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch. <clears throat> counsel and wisdom. You notice his calmness. Or you could write in composure. He's calm. But, by the way, Arioch is the guy, in fact, it says Arioch, the captain of the king's guard. The, the root meaning of the word captain is, captive is the word to slay. And I think this is the actual guy, not just sent to get Daniel, it was actually the guy sent to kill Daniel. So here, here comes the guy that's ready to kill him, because we already know they started killing the wise men. Everyone is frazzled. Everyone's in a turmoil, including the king. <laughs> and yet Daniel is calm and composed and confident. He's not panicked. He's not in despair. He's not in despair, though his life is literally on the line. I, I tell you, this passage is so convicting to me. Because I look at my own life and I think, I have allowed certain things just so little to, like, jolt me. <laughs> And yet, Daniel is just consistent. By the way, he's consistent because he is prepared. He didn't find out about this issue that I'm going to be killed, and then all of a sudden say, whoa, I better start having devotions now. I've got to get you know, right with God. He lived a consistent life. So when the trial came, 
Well, he was already prepared. And it says he spoke counsel. The idea is appropriately and wisdom, reasonably, to the captain. I believe if you looked at, if you were able to look at Daniel's life at this point, he would have exemplified Isaiah 26.3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. This is a man who, who trusts in the Lord. This is a man who has perfect peace because he's trusting in Jehovah. His heart is being guarded by Jehovah. That's the, that what's, the word keep, you will keep him, means to guard or watch over. Who's going to keep him? You will keep him. Who? Jehovah. Jehovah will keep him. Jehovah will guard my heart. He'll keep me in perfect peace. He kept Daniel in perfect peace. Look at how he answered verse 15. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. I mean, why are you in such a rush? Why are you killing all these people? Interesting that Arioch's heart was controlled by God because actually he slows down. Daniel had the ability in the midst of panic to be calm and composed. Why? Because Daniel had no fear because of his life was because his life was in the hand of God. I mean, let's face it, if we really have our lives in the hand of God, then then nothing I mean, that's the most valuable thing on this earth. And God I mean, he had committed his life to Jehovah. We commit our life to Christ, New Testament. So he is just calm. One very seasoned pastor said this of a composed life. Quote, The mark of a useful life in crises is composure. If you can't stay composed in a crisis, you are never really going to have an effective long-range ministry because ministry involves meeting one crisis after another. End quote. Yeah, we... I was thinking about it as we were bringing on uh, Ken. Because 27 years ago, you brought us on. And I was thinking about that. How, first of all, how does time fly? But you know what? As you look at crises, yeah, I mean, you, ministry is not like this. It's, and there's a lot of blessings and a, and a lot of times when it's very difficult. Again, Composure. How about the second thing? Courage. His courage. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time. <laughs> now think about this. That's courage. Because that's exactly what the king told the other guys. No. Oh, you're just trying to get more time. What does Daniel do? Uh, could I have some more time? That he might tell the king the interpretation. He, Daniel, goes to Nebuchadnezzar, you know, the furious monarch, and says, can I have more time? Instead of killing Daniel, again, Arioch, because of his composure, allowed him to see the king. And he apparently was the gatekeeper. So this 17 or 18 or 19-year-old young teen, in our day and age, not even out of high school, was willing to go before the monarch of the world at that time. And he asked for time. And it, apparently he was, he had a, you know, he was able to do it because he had absolute confidence in God. By the way, was this presumptuous on, uh, presumptuous on Daniel's part? 
Because he says, listen, give me more time, I'll get you an interpretation. No, because again, verse 17, it says that part of the giftedness that God had given to Daniel was, quote, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams, end quote. See, Daniel understood that God had gifted him. When he said, listen, give me time, I'll get you the interpretation. He knew it wasn't going to come from him, but he knew he could do it. Why? Because God had gifted him to do it. So the, uh, the king gave Daniel time. Again, also because it says that he had, let's see, where is it? He had ten times the wisdom. Oh yeah, the end of verse 20. It says he found uh, in them ten time, uh, wisdom ten times better than all the magicians, astrologers who were in all the realm. So when he came, again, I think the sequence is this. He's taken in captivity. He's uh, indoctrinated with Babylonian theology and all the other stuff. Uh, the king uh, interviews them. He becomes one of the wise men. During that time frame, the, the dreams are happening with the king. And now uh, Nebuchadnezzar uh, grants Daniel time. So we see his calmness. We see his courage. That's how he's dealing with the crises. <laughs> How do you deal with crises? Is it calm? Is it composed? Do you have courage? Do you have faith and trust in God? Boy, that's convicting. Because sometimes, ask my wife, don't ask her. It's not that. But he's a man walking with God. How about the third one? His prayer. Verse 17, Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah. These are his prayer partners. <laughs> He's in deep crisis. What does he do? Keep it to himself? Nope. Guys, we need to pray. By the way, you said he had giftedness in this area. Why didn't he just use his giftedness? No, no. Even your giftedness needs to have God's power. Are you trying to use your spiritual gifts without God's power? I think sometimes we do. Sometimes we try to do things on our own. Even though God has blessed us in an area, sometimes we still do not, Well, get into his word. Does God say he's going to give us uh, uh, illumination through his spirit? Yes. But should we ask him? In other words, you go to his word in the morning and you open up his book. Do you pray? Lord, enlighten my eyes. Help me understand through your spirit. Or do we just open up the book? See, sometimes we don't have dependence on God like we ought. But he's got his prayer partners there. He knows he's dependent on God. And he, he does the request, verse 18, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. They sought mercies, i.e. he prayed. <laughs> he didn't, Daniel didn't rest on his character or his giftedness or his competence or his previous successes. He went to God in prayer. As we walk with God, sometimes we can easily fall back on our successes or on the times that God has blessed or on our giftedness. He went to prayer. As you teach a Sunday school class, as we start Olympian Club, as we start Epic, have we prayed? Lord, unless you meet the need, we, and we're not sufficient of ourselves. And then look at what happened, the revelation. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Why? He was confident in God, and God used Daniel's gift to, you know, to actually accomplish the task of interpreting the dream. But, but God used Daniel's gift through prayer. <laughs> no. Charles Stanley, 
I, I love Charles Stanley. He has a different way about him. I mean, compared to a lot of other preachers, but he's so godly. But anyways, I received this in the mail a couple of weeks, or within the week, I guess it was. And, and it's, apparently he's calling many people to pray, to pray, to pray. But he said this. This is what he said. The Lord spoke to my heart. Now, again, he didn't say in a vision, but he just said, Lord spoke to my heart. So crystal clear, he said this. Quote, whatever you accomplish in life, you will have to accomplish on your knees. Boy, is that true of us? Is that true of me? That I truly believe, yes, I'm one of God's kids. I have his spirit. I have his giftedness. But whatever is going to really be accomplished is going to be on my knees. Well, it is accomplished in Daniel's life. He gets the dream, I mean, he gets the interpretation in a night vision. I, uh, one commentator said this. What Daniel did is he called his friends together, they prayed, said amen, and then just went to bed. I don't think that's how it happened. I think he continued to pray. <laughs> I don't think it was a five-minute prayer. I think he continued to pray through the night. And then at that point, a night vision Well, let's break down the last point. So we've seen his composure, his courage. We saw his prayer. And now we see his praise. His praise. Verse 19, second part. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever. You know, sometimes one of the biggest lies we say is in the midst of the trial, we will say this, and we will be careful to give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes I hear people say that. But you know what? Really, sometimes that's the hardest thing to do. Now again, the guy is ready to kill them. They get the interpretation. It could have been very easy that you see, and he presented the interpretation to the the dream and the interpretation to the king. No, the first thing that Daniel does is he praises God. He praises God. Why? Because the point of our trials and the victories through our trials should bring glory to God. And that's what he's doing, bringing glory to God. So blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. He remembered where his strength came from. He remembered where the victory was found. It's in the Lord. And he gave praise praise to the Lord. And I I just broke it down for you in three different ways. First of all, he looked at God's power. By the way, he mentions both in that verse, for wisdom and might. But now he's going to actually break it down. He's going to look at the might first, then the power, and then actually the revelation. The first is the power. And he changes, verse 21, and he, Jehovah, and he changes, in other words, alters. The, The word is the causative. In other words, if there's a change going on, it's because of you. And he changes the times and the season. He removes kings and raises up kings. So the first thing Daniel really focuses on in his prayer is that, God, you are all-powerful. Everything is in your hands. By the way, a hundred years before this, this was being written, Isaiah wrote this in Isaiah 40. It is God who sits above the circle of the earth. And its inhabitants are like grasshoppers. We're like grasshoppers before the mighty hand of God. 
who stretches out, this is Isaiah 40, verse 22, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. He brings in princes, he brings the princes to nothing. He makes the judges of the earth useless. And he goes on to the end of verse 25. In fact, verse 25 says this, To whom then will you liken me, God says, or to whom shall I be equal, says the Holy One? Daniel, first thing he talks about is God's power. By the way, this is a great application for us. Let's remember this, that the power of God over rulers of the world is in God's hands. (laughs) I mean, God is holding them. As we go through this election cycle, they are in God's hands. See, we don't have to be frustrated if our righteous candidate does not get in or if the unrighteous one does get in. We don't have to wring our hands. I'm learning this actually quite quickly, thankfully. You know, what do we do need to do, though? We do need to pray. We do need to pray. Let me say that a third time. We do need to pray. Next week you'll see in the bulletin a list of things, but you need to be praying. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, allow your will to be done. Lord, allow truth to be Truth. (laughs) Help us to have minds to think. But it does say in Proverbs, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. It's God's power. And Daniel looks at God's power first. Then he goes to his wisdom. Verse 21b. He gives wisdom to the wise. I.e., to me, Daniel would be saying. In other words, I got the interpretation, but it's not because it's me. It's because you gave it. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. So he's praising God for his wisdom, for his knowledge. And that not only that he has wisdom, but now catch this, he gives it to us. (laughs) But as Corinthians says, uh, he brings to light the hidden things of darkness. Isn't that... You know, this whole idea that he has wisdom is both a humbling thing and a gratifying thing. It's humbling when we realize that our sinful thoughts are not a secret to God. Now think about that. What have you been thinking about lately? What are some of the angry thoughts you have or lustful thoughts or worrisome thoughts? Whatever the thoughts might be. That's humbling to know that God knows. But it's also gratifying because we know, because we're in Christ, that God loves us. Isn't that very... He knows you, and yet He loves you. Few things more gratifying than to be known completely, warts and all, and still be loved. Some of you are in marriages where your spouse really doesn't know everything about you. And you would be so fearful if they ever found out. And they would be so hurt. But you know, when it comes to God, He knows everything about you, warts and all, and still loves you if you're in Christ. By the way, if you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Scripture says, and the wrath of God is over you. In other words, He is going to judge you, final outcome, hell. But if you recognize the fact that you're a sinner, if you've recognized that Jesus Christ is the only Savior, you can call out to Him even right where you're at. Lord, you are the Savior. Your death on the cross paid for the penalty of my sin, 
and I receive you. I receive your sacrifice. I receive you. I want you as my Lord and Savior, and he will forgive you. But if you've been forgiven, he knows warts and all, and he still loves you in Christ. Not only that, but the second part of verse 22 says, he knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. That word darkness means the concealed. It's not just talking about our hearts. He's saying this, even of all of history, because he's going to be exposing the dream. So it's not just that he knows us, he even knows what's going to happen from the beginning to the end. And he's going to be laying out, Daniel's going to be laying out in this next vision, this next dream, the interpretation of how God is working throughout human history. And actually, we're right in it, right in the midst of it. So he goes from God's power to God's wisdom, and finally, the revelation of God. The revelation. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge that we looked at that. Verse 22, he reveals, and then he kind of summarizes in verse 23. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and have now made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known, you, that's cause of you have made known to us the king's demand. I'm only trying to break this down one more little part. He's got all power, therefore whatever he wants to see accomplished will come to fruition. He's got wisdom. In other words, he is the source of wisdom. But now the third is, and he's also the source of revelation. It's one thing for God to know. It's another thing for God to know us and to know history. But now he's saying, listen, but you have chosen to give it to us. Isn't that amazing? This is the book of, actually the whole book is a book of revelation. Then we have the book of revelation at the end. But what what do you mean, pastor? I'm saying this that God has chosen to reveal it to us. If you want to know what is going to happen at the end of this world, don't turn into CNN or Fox News. But if you really want to know what's going to happen at the end of this world, you can read this book of the, the scriptures and it is going to tell you why. Because God wants you to know. Revelation is God making his thoughts known to men. And that's exactly what's happening here. It's like Second Peter chapter 1 says, Knowing this first, that no prophecy of, of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, didn't, because we just came up with it, but holy men of God spoke, quote, as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. I, I just find that so fascinating. It's not just that he's powerful. It's not just that he's a God of wisdom. It's that he wants you to know. He has actually given you revelation, and we call it the Bible. So have you, have you been faithful to get in the book? Because that's what Daniel was praising God for. Lord, you are powerful. That's why I can be confident in the crises. Lord, you are wise, and you have given me the revelation, and you've given me the interpretation of the dream, and that's why I can even tell the king, listen, I can get you the interpretation, but it's not going to be, as you'll notice, next. It's not going to be because of me. It's because I serve the King of Kings. So how do you handle a crisis? Just as we close, how do you handle a crisis? you do it with calmness? Do you do it with composure? Do you do it with confidence? Do you do it with courage? When hit with the crises, is your first response prayer? And not only prayer, but maybe I need to get some other prayer partners with me like Daniel did? And as soon as you get the answer and the, the report comes back and you're clean, 
And God answers the prayer in some other way, whatever it might be, whatever the answer is to that prayer, is your first response to go to God and thank Him. Because that's how we should handle a crisis. That's how He will keep us in perfect peace. Why? Because our mind is stayed on Him. Our minds have got to stay on Him if we're really going to honor Him, even through the very, very difficult, hard times of our life. Let's stand as we worship Him. you that uh, uh, tonight starts our Sunday night programs, uh, Epic and Olympian program. If you haven't gotten a book yet for Olympian, make sure you come with, a, what, 20 bucks, I think it is. And also, I think it's uh, 15 for, uh, for Epic, Word of Life. I say that so that you can be prepared. We can give you the book and everything will be given to you there. Um, I was uh, so excited about truth. I Forgot the little sign that my wife gave me, a little note just before she stepped down and said this, no song at the end. So I say that because I am very grateful for the uh, worship team, but it also plays in this way when it comes to crises. We have to be flexible. And uh, we thank the Lord that we are all flexible. Hail to the King. What an appropriate song at the end. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. That you're our Father through, through the sacrifice of Christ and by receiving Him. And Lord, again, we pray that if there's anyone here that has never received your Son as a propitiation for their sin, as an acceptable sacrifice for their sin, that they might receive Him even at this very moment. They would bend the knee, as it were, and receive your Son. Lord, again, we thank you for the, the life of Daniel, the consistency that even through the a major crisis of, 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 of possibly having his life taken, that he had composure and calmness. And Lord, he looked to you and he had that peace. Lord, remind us of this throughout this week. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what's going to happen in this world uh, in the next few days or next few years, but we do know how it all ends. But Lord, also, we don't know what's going to happen in our own individual lives. And some of us are going to be thrust into a crisis. May we be quick to run to you, dependent on you. And and as you answer and as you strengthen and as you give victory, may we give praise to you. Father, again, we thank you for this new start of a, a, a new club year. And ask that tonight that your power and your strength and your wisdom would be given to leaders and to teachers so that we might help instruct the kids and the teens as leaders ourselves, that we might grow together so that we might honor the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.